This is Blue Collar Culture, where you don't need ping pong tables, a cereal bar, or nap pods to attract and retain real A players. Join us where we speak with down-to-earth leaders that understand what it takes to win with a blue collar culture. Now here are your hosts, Jeremy McLiver and Ryan England. Welcome back to another episode of the Blue Collar Culture Podcast. I'm your co-host, Ryan England, and I'm here today with Jeremy McLiver. Welcome back, everyone. So it's not every day that we get to have a conversation about getting started in the trades or what it takes to really run a successful business. We've had a lot of amazing guests on the show that have talked about their story and their journey. And today's guest has a little bit of a different approach to what it takes to get out there and really be successful in the trades. In fact, he actually went to college for a few months, decided it wasn't for him came back out and now he actually owns multiple construction companies. He's got a tremendous wealth of knowledge in this area. And I want to welcome today's guest, Ken Rusk. Welcome to the show. Hey guys, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. So let me start. You've been on a journey here that's been pretty solid over your professional career. But as you've grown these construction companies, as you've worked with other construction company owners, what would you say is the biggest myth about the industry? You know, I, th- I would have to say it's the stigma of working with your hands. You know, in this day and age of this almost forced college path, where all the high schools have suddenly turned into, you know, college prep schools, if you will, there almost became this, if you weren't going that path, you were doing something less. And I can tell you that absolutely nothing could be further from the truth. I think working with your hands is not only honorable, but it's lucrative, especially in today's you know, environment of supply and demand and, and the, you know, the problems that we face with uh, supplies of American workers, you know, blue collar workers today. It is definitely a push there through the high school growing up. In fact, I don't think it quite starts in high school. I think it starts in kindergarten there that they start talking about the college push and, and showing that your destiny is almost college has to be in that destiny if it's going to be anything close to it. And you've not found that to be the case. Is that correct? Well, that's true. You know, I don't know if it was intentional or unintentional, but it seems like somewhere in the 70s and 80s, they decided to get rid of shop class and they filled those rooms with computers. And I've always said that obviously we need to learn computers. That was important, but I never thought it was a binary choice, meaning one or the other. One had to substitute for the other. I think we eliminated the the potential discovery of the trades by millions of kids because they just went right into these classes after these shop classes were eliminated. And that has obviously paired up with the fact that technology gives us now these cell phones and iPads that, you know, instead of building a tree fort in our backyard, now we just build it on Minecraft on our screens. And we don't really get to discover those types of things. So I agree with you 100%. Um, You know, we're in a position where we could use a lot more education as to the lucrative careers that these paths can take you. So I know you're on a mission to really change the mindset around blue collar, around working with your hands, around working in the trades, whether it's at this executive level of owning your own uh, small business, or it's just working in that. So tell us a little bit about what you're doing there to help change that mindset. Well, first off, what we're trying to do is, I mean, in addition to writing the book and putting it out there, what we're doing is we're trying to get the word out to the kids before they get into that almost corral of, you know, no return, which is their ninth, 10th, 11th grade. And they're thinking, oh my gosh, I got to prepare myself for college. So 
we're trying to catch them in the early stages and talk about the benefits of blue collar work, the honor in that, the control of that, and obviously the money that you can make doing that. I mean, we're talking to people as early as you know, sixth and seventh grade about what the benefits are in these fields. And again, you know, anybody can understand supply and demand. It's a pretty powerful force. And if everybody's going one way, then the contrary thinker would go the other way. Because as we overproduce college grads with nondescript business degrees, we're obviously underproducing people who can do things with their two hands. And obviously, if the supply is there and the demand is high on the blue collar side, then the money's going to, it's just naturally going to follow that path. I love that you, you say, obviously we should go the other way. I, like it was something that we all see. Unfortunately, the herds don't see that in, in any situation. I'm just thinking of, you know, Warren Buffett, he was asked, how did he always know what to invest in? And he said, well, when everybody was running one way, I just always ran the other way. <laughs> and right. You know, that was an investment strategy (laughs) right? (laughs) that is proven fairly well. (laughs) Well, yeah. And so when you're saying this about, you know, going the path of not everybody's going, everybody's going to college, let's go the other way. Let's look at how do we do it with our hands when everybody's doing it virtually. So you've been on this journey and I know that you've seen some really amazing results, amazing changes. Tell us about one or two of those that you've seen that have really inspired you in your work and inspired you to communicate that to the rest of the world? Well, for me, you know, I've had to hire a lot of people. You know, we started with six people and now we have 200. And that caused us to have to hire a lot of people. And I almost became kind of an involuntary life coach during that period of time. And I really enjoyed it because I saw that a lot of these kids weren't prepared out of high school to deal with the real world. What would happen to them is they would get out of school and, you know, the parents, the teachers, society in general would just hand them a, a hatchet and say, there's the forest, start chopping. And after five minutes, they would turn around and say, well, where am I going? And the best answer they got was, I don't know, just keep chopping. Okay. As if they were going to stumble across their success path. I think it's a lot different than that. I believe in some of the age old theories that you got to believe with the, you got to begin with the end in mind and you got to believe that you have a path to getting there. I use a lot of real simple techniques where people can visualize what they want their life to look like. And we actually get them down on paper doing it. We get them with poster boards and crayons or markers or whatever you want to use. And we have them design exactly what they want their life to look like, what their version of comfort, peace, and freedom might look like. And that can be anything from how do you want to live, like what type of house or an apartment or a condo or whatever in the city, in the suburbs, in the country, you know, what vehicle they would see themselves driving, a car, a truck, a minivan, whatever that might be, what their hobbies are, what their pets look like, what the names of those pets might be, what their give back moment is, what their charity might be they would support. And we try to get them really, really detailed into those drawings so that they understand that they're in control of making that happen. And what I love about that is the more clearly they have that picture, the more they look back at me and say, okay, Ken, thank you for the train. Now get out of my way and let me go get it. So isn't that a little frou-frou for blue collar? It's really not because when you ask somebody, you know, what's your next six months going to look like? And they have no idea how to look back at you and answer that question other than, you know, I'm living for Friday. You know, we like to take 
a really good long-term interest. If you're looking to cut down on turnover, and everybody knows that turnover just stinks. I mean, it's expensive. It takes a lot of time. You train these people and they don't come back or whatever that might be. I've always believed, and I've said this hundreds of times, I can't get what I want, nor can my company get what it wants until all of you get what you want first. So we better have a really clear idea of what it is that you want for yourself, because I want you to believe you can build your life with and through my company. So I work a lot on retention and building corporate culture. And that's one of the first exercises that we talk about. And believe me, guys, it is extremely effective. I don't care what walk of life you come from. You should give us a shot. You know, I threw you that question. I definitely don't believe it's too frou frou. <laughs> <laughs> But it sounds like it is. So much they like, oh no, the construction guy, they will never take this or the, but working with, in my own businesses and just really getting to understand, okay, why are you doing all this? Where do you want to be six months from now? And not 300 years or what's your debt in the universe? Like we're not there, although those are important. I'm just talking about six months from now, what's the house? What's that stuff look like? And I remember I just had... One of the support team was uh, this, one of my clerical people at the body shop. When I really dug into what she was really wanting, why she was working, she really wanted to own her own home. And so, well, how much do you have to make to own your own home? And it was, she, we worked it out, figured it out, thought it through, you know, and it was going to be a lot more than what she was currently making. Um, and I said, okay, um, now let's figure out a path to get there. <laughs> and she just started working on learning stuff, getting better. And there was a purpose to her job. It wasn't putting invoices in now. It was getting a home. And she owns a home today and has a great life. And that's because we get real with that stuff. So by no means is that you know soft. We're all going out there and striving for something. Really getting that real is, is important. Too often as leaders, we're not getting there. So in all of these great successes that you've done, all these cool things that you've gotten to see, what's the best mistake you've ever made? I think the best mistake I ever made was realizing that I didn't have to know it all. I think I didn't have to have all of the answers. I didn't have to be, you know, you remember from the old days of the shell answer man, okay? That was probably, for me, letting go of this title of president or CEO or boss or owner. I mean, I don't like any of those terms. I always say that if you put me in the parking lot with all 200 of the people that work on our team, I wouldn't want anyone to be able to pick me out of the group as there's the boss, that's the owner, that's the guy. You know, when we build our buildings, we do them campus style. We don't do them, you know, three, four, five floor style because I believe that that tradition is kind of out the window. So for me, the, the, best, the best thing that I'd done was I really let go of me thinking I had to drive these companies. And I really got a lot of feedback from the people within the companies and said, okay, what do you guys want to do? How far can we go? And if we get there, what do you want for doing it? Okay. And they look back like, you know, I was from Mars because no one had ever talked to them like that before. And so we had this huge kind of collective effort that was driven by not only 
what they thought they could gain from the company after a year at the end of the year at the holiday season. But they each had to have a really powerful map of what they wanted for themselves. And I got to tell you guys, that took me a lot further. I could have taken it myself. So, you know, there is power in letting go of that and allowing people to do what, uh, what they want to do in, in a big collective way. How did you come to that discovery? Cause that is not kind of, like you said, the, the age old way has been broken down, but how did you come to, to realize that? You know, it's funny because I wore a lot of hats and I know a lot of business owners out there wear a lot of hats. And I said to myself, okay, what am I good at? What do I like to do? And what needs to be done, but may not be my best skill set. And I thought if I could find people to help me with those skill sets, would the results be better than if I did it myself or, or attempted to do it myself? And the answer was absolutely yes. In, in every case, when I shed something that I knew was important, but maybe wasn't exactly in my wheelhouse, first off, you have to let go. And that's important. And that's okay, because your ego doesn't want you to do that. But you let go, you get people in place to do these things. And I guarantee you, your company will go further than if you tried to do all those things yourself. And I just knew, I don't know whether I got tired of doing a mediocre job at some of these things, or I gravitated too much towards where I knew I was really good at, but building a support team, best thing you're ever going to do. I had a, when you're saying that about letting go of things, I had a, some body shops at one point and the painter position inside of a collision center is like the unspoken leader of the body shop like it's just in every body shop i've ever been around or worked that painter kind of has the the upper level in a lot of areas and so picking a painter for your your shop is really critical and i remember i was on the journey of discovering hey letting go of all these things and letting others do it i'm not fully there but i was in in the in the discovery path and we got down to two just really phenomenal painter choices, uh, just top notch. And there was one, I thought this guy's it. He's got energy. He's going to bring some drive and momentum to the company. The other one is really qualified and seems like he's going to just do good work, but he's not the same. Kind of would like this first one, but I had begun to work with the team on these kinds of things. So I let the actual team that was going to be working with them, that shop, I had multiple shops with that shop, make the final call. And they picked the one that I didn't want. And unfortunately, they told that guy that too, (laughs) (laughs) which he continued to rub in my face for years. (laughs) Right. But it turned out they had picked up on him and how great he really was. And the other guy that I really wanted, uh, you don't always get to know that you made the right choice. But on this one, I got... I got to see the end of both decisions, I guess you say. So we got a painter that was just solid, steady, driving force of our company and just just did amazing stuff. The other one got us on his email. We got some form of connected to his emails at three o'clock in the morning. Let's just say we shouldn't have been connected. <laughs> right. We got some emails like, oh, we would not have made the right choice with that one. So and that was letting the employees who get to see a little bit more of the real, you know, you said you don't want to be that boss, that owner, you know, when it's all 200 of you there, even when you are trying not to be that, they're putting a little bit more of a show on for you than they are for their coworkers. 
And so letting them go to that spot where they're just, they're with their people. It, and then them those are the ones making a decision. It's a better team. So. Well, yeah, you know, just a real quick point on that. You know, at some point I realized that obviously I have to have the knowledge that I need and the company needs to, to run all the different facets of it. But I can tell you that in my experience, it seems like it's never, it's never been that important what I know as much as it has been important what they know and how they execute that. So I didn't want to have to plug myself into any one particular position. You know, I wanted to, I wanted to be able to touch every position in the way of motivating and helping create life plans and long-term vision plans for, for the people doing those things without having to perform any one of those things individually myself. And it just worked out so much better to, you know, you always hear it about the word empower. Okay. It made it so much better to just give them the keys of operating these certain parts of the business because they became what Tom Galasano in his book, he's the founder of Paychex. He calls them entrepreneurial employees. And what that, what he was talking about, which is really important is people that feel like they kind of own and run their little departments or divisions, even though they don't own the company, because those divisions are directly connected to their financial well-being. And if you can get that mindset going, I'm telling you, your company is going to go a lot further than, than you're ever going to take it on your own. Every human being wants to make a difference and wants to be a part of a team. So by being a leader, our job is to supply those to them and the direction for that. And that's where we win when we give them those. So now I know you've written the book, Blue Collar Cash, and, and you've gotten to work with lots of different business owners, and employees, and stuff. What is the biggest thing holding back a business from just breaking free? Like they're right there and they keep just almost making it, but, and you see it and you're like, man, if you just did this, boom, what is it? Well, I can tell you it's getting people together, asking their opinion, asking what they're capable of, and then putting a plan together to go do that, and then rewarding them at the end. Again, it kind of comes back to how we see ourselves. I mean, do we get to go home at night, and when our wives, our girlfriends, or whoever ask us, how was your day? Are you going to come from ego where you say, oh man, I answered all these questions. I solved all these problems. Yeah, I can. So I talk to a lot of business owners in the blue collar space that really struggle with letting go. And, and I think a lot of it stems from they're holding on to some of the past hurt of hiring someone they thought was amazing, giving them the keys to the castle and then watching them burn it down. And so they're very skeptical of people going forward. Trust is something that they don't use openly with their team. And in a lot of the work that we do in building the core fit hiring system for these companies is to help them overcome that and put objective tools in place so that they can take the emotion out of it. But it sounds to me like you really put a lot of your success on the team that you've built. Um, you started with six employees. Now you've got 200. Uh, that doesn't happen overnight and it probably wasn't easy. So what are some tips, maybe just like the number one thing you've learned when it comes to finding these people? What's the one thing that you would tell our listeners, you know, 
here's how you find the person that you want to delegate this stuff to. Here's the way you find the person that you're willing to trust and you're willing to step back and let them take it over. Um, what's one or two things that you could share? Well, this one's, that's a great question. And, and, and I'm glad you asked it because this one came to me um, while I was realizing the whole letting go thing. You know, it, it seems that in today's day and age, that you've got people that, especially with technology, the hiring is, is there's so much demand out there. And I mean, right now, if you drive from my office a couple miles to the freeway, there's 20, you know, signs that say, you know, hiring. Okay. So they have the ability to job shop you six ways from Sunday. So when you're in the interview, it used to be, you know, boss man would sit behind the desk and say, okay, why should I hire you? Well, that's kind of flipped a little bit. And, and now the people on the other side of the desk are looking back and saying, well, what's in it for me to work here? Now, that might be off-putting for some potential bosses who, who um, are used to things the way they were. I have to tell you, if somebody says to me, what's in it for me to work here? I'm kind of like intrigued by that. I'm, I'm kind of, that's, that's a positive for me because my question is going to be, well, what are you looking to accomplish with this job? Tell me about what you want your life to look like. Tell me about your six months, your one year, your five years, you know, tell me something beyond next Friday's paycheck. What does that look like to you? And if I get a really good answer there, then, you know, I think I got a pretty good prospect because I would rather have somebody that's working with themselves or working for themselves through your company and with your company than you know you having to micromanage every move that they make. So in my opinion, if I got a guy or a gal that's really strongly driven as to where they're going, I'm taking a chance on that person for sure. Oh, of course. People are so much better at motivating themselves than letting someone else drive or hold a carrot in front of them so that it motivates them. You know, when you were talking about that, what's in it for me, I call that with them. It's a marketing term uh, where we do have to flip the realize the roles have flipped. You know, it's interesting. I talk to employers all the time. Like I can't find good people. And the question I always ask is that you can't find people or you can find people. They're just no good. And it's always the latter. They always just can't find the good people. And when I ask them what good means, they want people that give a damn. Like, that's just how I sum it up. Like, they care. And I think that's been lost on the industry is that this person is a cog in my machine. I'm going to treat them like it. And if they don't work out, I'll just put a new cog in the machine. And the modern workforce just is not having that. They don't want to be treated that way. So when they're really looking for good people, they're looking for people that give a damn, that have goals and dreams, that are willing to wake up and what I say, trade their paycheck for a purpose. They've got something that they're aligned to. And I think there's a really important point to add to that. In the book, I talk about the difference between the some dayers club and the two dayers club. And those are two different clubs that you can belong to. One of them where you live in perpetuity of, yeah, someday I'm going to make that happen. It's going to be great. I'm going to get there and it's going to be awesome. And the other club is, I've done this. This is how I'm doing it. I'm repeating that successful path. I'm going to create steps and I'm going to make this happen. And look at, I'm going to show you my results. So the difference for me is when I'm interviewing somebody or I want to know about their future, 
I'm going to ask them what they've already accomplished. And I'm going to also ask them of the things that they're looking to accomplish, what exactly are the steps involved in that? Like, do you have a path? Do you have steps? Do you have it broken down? You know, we have this big black glass board in our office and it's, it's probably 10 by 10. And we have these multicolored bright markers, kind of like you'd see on a, almost on like a, out in front of a bar where they have the drink of the day and they draw the pictures of the drink or whatever. And we actually have them put those things on that board with a start date and end date and a mechanism that shows certainty. I'm saving $2,500 and it's going to take me a year. It's 48 bucks a week. It's coming out of my paycheck and boom, it's into an account that I can't touch. And there we go. I'm on the path. So it has to be crystal clear. It has to have a lot of clarity there. And that's something that anybody listening can start tomorrow. Because once you have somebody that's done that once or twice, and they go from a someday to a two dare, you're going to have a person that's going, wow, I like the way that feels. All I had to do was breathe and that goal was going to happen. And I'm going to do that again and again and again. And, and that's what we've experienced with people here, where They've maybe paid off a visa card, then they got their first card, then they saved for a down payment on the house, and now they're living in that house, and now they're taking vacations. And they, they try to give me credit for that. And I'm like, no, all we did was design the path. You walked it. We just had the vehicle. So again, something that, some, that any business owner out there could, uh, could use starting today. That's great, Ken. So we've challenged you. We've asked a lot of questions here as we've dug into this. I'm going to ask you now to challenge our audience. What is something that they should go do today? Not someday, but today. What is that one thing that they should go do? Take action from what they've just heard. Okay. If they're an individual, they need to go find a quiet place. They need to sit down and they need to draw out what they want their life to look like. That just has to happen. Here's a statistic that you might be interested in. If you take a hundred people, 80 people, in the United States today claim they have no real goals. So that leaves 20. Of the 20, 16 people have goals, but they're kind of hopes and dreams and whatevers and wishes and some days. That leaves four. Of the four out of those 100 people, they actually write their goals down, draw them out, have them crystal clear, cut out pictures from magazines, make a puzzle, whatever. And yet, Three of those four take those goals and shove them in a drawer somewhere, maybe never to be seen again. Only one of those people is willing to take those goals, write them out, post them on the wall in their bathroom, in the dashboard of their car, maybe in their kitchen, where they look at them every single day. Those people on average earn eight times more money than the other 99 in their lifetime. That was done by a study at the University of Virginia. So I would implore anybody that's listening, sit down, draw your life as specifically as you can, keep that in front of you, look at it every day, because what happens is the, the law of attraction is so powerful. What you see, you tend to attract yourself to. Keep that in front of you and uh, you will see your life change real quick. That's fantastic. So I would only imagine <laughs> that someone that has never drawn their life before, has never written down their goals, they're going to go away, they're going to sit down, and they're going to do what they can with this. But if they get stuck, do you have any resources, anything to help them to get unstuck? Where can they go to get clear on what they need to be doing during this 
time. Okay. Well, two, two quick stories. The, the easy one is to read the book because I talk about that particular issue because it happens a lot. <laughs> and the book is? Blue Collar Cash. All right. So Blue Collar Cash at, by Ken Rusk. Correct. We can get it on Amazon or anywhere? They can get it on Amazon, Indie Books, Apple Books, anywhere books are sold. And the other answer is this, and this is just a real quick story. Do you remember when you were younger and the first time ever that you wanted to jump off the high dive and you were scared to death and you talked yourself out of it a half a dozen times. And then finally your buddies were all sitting there next to you and they said, you got this, you can do this. And you climbed the ladder and you looked over at them and then you climbed up, you got to the top and you looked over at them. And then you walked down that handrail towards the water. And then the board started giving underneath your weight and you're scared to death and you look over at them and finally they look at you and they say, you got this. And what do you do? You launch yourself off the high dive. It's the same exact thing when you're trying to do these goals in your lifetime. You just need to find one person that you can trust that may be a family member. It may not be a family member. It may be just a mentor, whatever. Find someone that you can trust that you can share these goals with in, in crystal clear detail and say, Hey, I want to get this done. I've picked you out of all the people in my life. I've picked you to help me. Because once you're walking a path that you can't turn around on, you may hesitate, you may stumble, but that person will be there with their hand on your shoulder. And they are invaluable to taking you down your very first goal path. Once you've done it successfully on your own, you may not need them anymore, other than to say, I have gratitude and I, have, I give thanks for you for being in my life. But I got to tell you, to have someone there with their hand on your shoulder, invaluable force to, to keep you on that path. Very, very good there. So for all of you out there, I love that Ken is pointing to a couple of different things here. One, go get the book, Blue Collar Cash by Ken Rusk, anywhere that you can find that. It's a great read. And the other thing is, is when he's talking about being specific, you all know, and you, we talk about it a lot, the clearer that we are with this stuff, the more concrete that we are with it. And that's what I love that you're pushing for us, Ken, is just be very specific about it because that allows us to see it and it allows that partner that we've selected to hold us accountable to it. We don't want to be like, did I get that? We want to know for sure. Correct. So Ken, this has been an amazing segment. I'm so glad that uh, we've been able to spend this time with you. You do have a special offer with the book and I want to make sure that we highlight that for our audience. So I'll let you share that and then share where to go and uh, share your website with them so they can have any way to get a hold of you if they have any more questions with it. Very good. Well, first off, thank you for having me. It's been fun. I always love these discussions. If you go to kenrusk.com, you'll see what we're up to there. You can get the book there as well. It has all the buy buttons on it. We also have uh, Ken Rusk Official on our Facebook page and Instagram where our Facebook is, we have a blog there and, and we have constant content to support the blue collar industry because I, I'm very fond of that. But at the end of this thing, you know, I, I always believe that giving back, it was the last chapter I wrote in the book about the power of giving back and how you don't do it for any specific reason, but it just seems to enrich your life. And believe me, it does. So I've sponsored Make-A-Wish for about 20 years now. I've done a kid's wish every single year. And this year is no exception. We've made a long-term commitment. But one of the things I want to do is anyone who buys a book, I want you to know that my author revenue from the book is going to go towards sponsoring Make-A-Wish. And I really, I'm trying to do multiple wishes this year and into the spring. So I would encourage anyone to buy it as a gift for someone else. 
maybe a young person that's in their life that they need some direction, or maybe you're just in your midlife and you want to get out of the cubicle and go back to working with your hands because you feel passionate about woodworking or whatever it might be, a craft or a skill. Pick this book up and know that you're not only getting yourself some good information, but you're also going to help some child in need to uh, realize a, a wish through Make-A-Wish this year. Thank you so much, Ken, for joining. And uh, thank you all for all out there that have listened. Again, go to KenRust.com. We've got all kinds of great content. Get the book, Blue Collar Cash. Look forward to seeing you next time. The Blue Collar Culture Podcast is sponsored by BlueCollarCulture.com. We help entrepreneurs create a healthy culture and build a self-managing business. To learn more, go to bluecollarculture.com.